Grab a seat. Um, man, so special. There's so many special people in this room. Uh, to me, just want to say, you know, again, my, my, my beautiful mom's here. Why don't you stand up, mom? Stand up with your husband, Kaipo. Come on, it's my stepdad, Kaipo. Give it up for him. I got my pastors in the house. You guys can stand up for me. My mother and father-in-law, would you guys stand up for me? I also got some spiritual parents. We got the Ingles in the house right now, Lou and Therese. Man, um, I, you know, I, I actually just, uh, just started preaching last year in our conferences because I always felt like, what do I have to, to say in these type of events? There's so many legends that come in and there's so many incredible people that come in. I'm more, I, I mean, I've been preaching in high schools for 10 years, so I feel like I, there's never like uh, a, a sense in me of like, I need to preach. I mean, I, I spent, I've been preaching for 10 years. Uh, my first four or five years was five days a week um, in, in schools. And then I used to do two lunches every week and, and two lunches per day. And so my my message that I wanted to share with you is one that's actually been developing in the last few months. And uh, even having my mom here, I said, hey, mom, can I share it? My, my mom's hilarious if you don't know my mom. Um, if you need a discount from any store, you just hit up my mom. <laughs> Y'all wonder where I get it from. <laughs> it was funny. I looked over at my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, are you okay with me sharing my story? She goes, what's your story? <laughs> she's, she's like, does it make me look bad? I'm like, nah, nah. You she's like, okay, share it. <laughs> uh, I want to share... Uh, a message that I know might be a little bit odd to the room because most of us here might think we're believers. Uh, but I want to share a message uh, that's been in my heart because I feel like you need to know that the gospel's for everyone. It's for everyone. You know, my, my daughter, she's three years old. She's about to be 30. Um, yeah, she's three going on 30. That's right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You have a little girl. She's three going on 30, and she is phenomenal. My daughter is extremely smart for her age. Uh, definitely know my, my genes run in her family. No, I'm just playing. My daughter is extremely smart, and she asks these very deep questions at a three-year-old. Your normal three-year-olds are like, you know, can I have mac and cheese? My daughter asks, like, she asks one day, can Satan be forgiven? I'm like, go ask your mother, you know? Um, she, she's a very deep thinker, and I'll never forget the day that I picked her up. Uh, we're, I think we're on our way to gymnastics. She does gymnastics, and she's like, Daddy. I'm like, what? She's like, Daddy, I gave my life to Jesus today. She's three. She's like, Daddy, I, I, I was with Mommy, and, and I was afraid, and, and, and Mommy led me in a prayer, Daddy, and I asked Jesus in my heart, and I started crying. I'm like, you asked Jesus in your heart? Like, it's amazing. Like, I was 16 and jacked up. You're three. Like, wow, you know? Like, I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like, my daughter began to just pour out her heart. You know, she began to tell me how... How, how, how she had no more fear, and she's so funny at night, like, we're, we're teaching her what it's like when she battles fear to not accept it, so at night, she's like, Daddy, I'm afraid, we're like, okay, we love you, we're here for you, we're gonna pray for you, now tell fear to leave, so she sleeps at the end of our bed, if any parents know, it's a struggle to get your kids out the bed, right? Maybe not for you, it is for us. So we finally got her on a mattress in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our room. And so at night, all of a sudden, you know, my daughter, she's, she's so funny. She just wants to know I'm, I'm still like awake or there. So she'll be, I'll be like barely falling asleep and she'll be like, Dad? And I'm trying to sleep. I'm like, go to bed, Zoe. Two minutes later, Dad? 
And then I'm like, I'm going to wait it out. Dad, dad, I love you. I'm like, I'm here. Go to sleep. That's my daughter. And then we tell her like, and I'm being honest with you. There's a point where we were like, just, just tell fear to leave. So you hear her. She's like, fear, leave me now, now, dad. You know, like that is my daughter. And she's accepted Christ at the age of three. And when I realized, when my daughter got saved at the age of three, I realized that, wow, the gospel truly is for everyone. You know, I want to share with you a very deep part of my life that I've recently just started sharing. You know, most of the time when I've gotten on stages, I've loved to share the highlights of my life. I've preached in high schools. I've seen gyms filled. We reach 17,000 kids a week. And although that is really cool and encouraging, there was a lot that happened in my life before I encountered Jesus. You know, if you know anything about me or maybe you don't know anything about me, and, and uh, I just wanted to share my life with you and kind of where it began. My, 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 my parents were teenagers when, uh, when, when I was conceived. My mom had no idea she was carrying this beautiful thing. Um, and she was a teenager when, when, uh, when she conceived me. And I, I'm always so thankful that my mom chose life. Because she chose life, my life has impacted so many people. And I was thankful that at a young age, you know, for whatever, you know, she, she just, she chose to keep me. And so her, 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 and, her and my dad, you know, being young, grew very afraid like most people would, getting pregnant at a young age. And instead of maybe telling their parents what happened, they decided they had a brilliant idea. They were going to run to Orange County in my dad's blue truck with, I don't know if you had much money. She's like, no. Nope. And by the way, this is a little weird. I've never actually shared this story with my mom here, so she can fact check this right now. She can take some notes. But she ended up moving with my father to Orange County. This is actually, I was born in Orange County. And through my life of growing up, I did not grow up in the most ideal home. I did not grow up in a home that was a Christian home, I guess you would say, or where Christian values were lived out. I mean, God was never opposed, but he was definitely not something that was modeled for us. I think that my parents growing up had seen maybe different levels of hypocrisy in the church, and it caused maybe their view a little bit of God just to be skewed. And, and I remember, you know, from, uh, you know, hearing stories that my mom would tell me of, of them be, being in, in a Lucky's parking lot. My dad used to work, and she grew up with a really, really, you know, rough time with him there. And my dad, uh, you know, was, was physically abusive growing up. I remember there would be moments um, where I would, I was young and, um, sorry, I don't think I've ever cried like this. Brandon started crying. You screwed me up, man. What's wrong with you? Don't do that no more, man. I remember there would be moments as a boy seeing my parents get into more than just arguments. I remember, you know, many moments seeing my, my mom physically abused and to the point where there's blood and I, I'm, I'm young and I'm a kid and I'm, I'm a child and I'm growing up in this home that is so broken and it's without God. And, and, and do I sit here later, years later, blaming my parents? No, because broken people break people. I, 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 you know, I feel like this, I feel like this afternoon, you're going to be delivered from being offended at the lost because how could people live like a person they've never met? 
I remember growing up and there'd be these moments where I would just see these crazy wild outbreaks of abuse and, and finally at the age of 10 years old, my life was shattered completely when I found out my parents were getting a divorce. Oh, when you're, when you're a kid, I know that the people say, man, divorce never affects the children. It doesn't affect the children. It destroys the children. Please, you have to know, I'm a product of that. And I remember, you know, the, the day when, when, when everything just kind of happened. And I remember there was the meetup spot. If you come from a divorced family, you'll know what I'm talking about when you have the meetup spot. It's the halfway point of where your parents meet and drop you off. And ours was the jack-in-the-box in Lathrop. You might remember that jack-in-the-box. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to remember that jack-in-the-box. And every other weekend, I would go to this jack-in-the-box, and I would get dropped off, and I would get dropped off. And I remember this one particular time. This is where my story really took a detour. Because I remember after my mother had dropped me off from in, in, at the jack-in-the-box, and my father picked me up. I remember getting in the car and my, my father saying these words to me at the age of, of 10 years old. I remember him saying, hey, I wanna tell you something. I said, what? He says, your mother, she doesn't love you. I was like, what do you mean? Your mom, she doesn't love you. In fact, that's why she's pursuing other relationships and she wants a whole new family. And as a 10 year old boy, I begin to get angry. And I begin to say, well, if my mom doesn't love me, that I don't love her either. And he goes, awesome. Will you say that in court in a few weeks? I said, yeah, I'll say it in court. Now, we didn't have the best court custody battles if you, <laughs> you know, if you've been through that kind of stuff. And I just remember like, I might, you know, my dad would give me a recorder, go record your mom. My mom would say, go record your dad. You know, it's, it's, and then I'd get to the courtroom and they'd both be playing recordings looking at me, you know? And I was like, I was 10 years old. I was a boy, broken. And I went to court, and I don't know if my mom might remember more than I, I do, but I went to that courtroom and I remember saying, I don't want to see my mom anymore. And five years goes by. And I'm at a play that was put on by a certain denomination called Victory Outreach in Northern California. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, with the denomination, but I'm at a play and while I'm at this play, it's been five years that I've believed my mom doesn't want me, she doesn't love me, that my mom, you know, I haven't heard from her in so long. I'm now 15 years old, starting to hang out with the wrong crowd. And I go to this play, and I run into this unexpected person, her name is Lupe. <laughs> my mom is laughing, because she knows who Lupe is. And Lupe was my babysitter when I was about how old? Four or five years old. And I look the exact same as they did when I was four or five. I mean, I said, I have a beard. Like, I don't look any different. And Lupe comes up to me. She goes, Brian? I was like, who are you? She goes, my name is Lupe. I was like, oh, I remember. My mom told me about a Lupe, you know? I don't know if I'm supposed to talk to you anymore. <laughs> and she says this to me. She goes, um, how you been? I said, I've been okay. She goes, well, hey, your mom's been looking for you. I said, huh? She goes, your mom's been looking for you. I said, what do you mean my mom's been looking for me? I said, no, my mom doesn't want nothing to do with me. She doesn't love me. She, doesn't, she has her, you know, her own family she's forming, and she, doesn't, she goes, Brian, your mom's been looking for you. She's been sending you cards and calls, and 
I said, I haven't gotten a card or a call in five years. What I didn't know is these cards and calls may have made it to the home, but they never made it to me. And for five years, I had believed a lie that my mom didn't want anything to do with me. I said, my mom really, she really wants to talk to me. She goes, yeah, I said, okay, give me your Metro phone. You know? I'll never forget that day or that night. Phone was ringing. You might remember this night. This person picks up, hello? Said, hey, uh, I'm 15 now. Said, is my mom there? Who's this? I said, it's her son, Brian. He goes, yo, Tamar, someone on the phone for you said it's your son. The moment my mom said hello, we both began to weep on the phone, and I said, Mom, I, I gotta see you. Like, I, it's been so long, like, I, we gotta see you. So we arranged it, we were at a secret meeting we arranged, you know, kinda didn't tell my dad. We arranged that at a park, and see my mom for the first time, and that's when we began to plan the plan of escape. I was like, I gotta get out of this house, man. And I never told my mom this. She's probably the first time she's gonna hear this, but after that day, I seen her at the park, I was 15. I had to go back to my dad's house. I went home and into my room, I closed my door and I locked it and I curled up in a ball for an hour and I cried and all I said is, I want my mommy. I'm 15, how embarrassing is that? I want my mommy, I want my mommy. I don't do that no more. I'm like, I want my wife, you know. <laughs> I still love my mommy. Can I keep going, is that okay? I, 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 I'm, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Some of you are like, are you just, it's like therapy for you. No, 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 like, I've been healed, okay? I just, I, it's pointless for me to share what I do unless you know why I do it. You know, I love what Todd says, and he's gonna be here a little bit later, and I love what Todd says. He said, it's not enough to know what you got saved from. You have to know what you got saved to. And so, but I wanna tell you what I got saved from so I could show you what I got saved to. Okay, so I'm crying and so I call my mom. I mean, this is back before like phones were as accessible as they are now and I'm using my friend's phones at my school. You know, most dudes are like calling girls. I'm calling my mom. I'm like, yo mom, what are you, what are you doing? You know, like I haven't talked to her in so long and we're building this relationship over my friend's phones that I'm using throughout my school and finally she goes, hey, would you like to come over and see me for a week? And I'm like, I can't mom. My dad says that you, that you don't have any custody. She's like, that's a lie. I have 20% custody, which means I can get you every other weekend. And I said, well, when's your weekend? She goes, it's in, it's in another week. I said, okay, let's do this. So I said, here's what I'm going to do, mom. I said, I'm, I'm going to put, because in case this goes south, I'm going to put all of my stuff at night when my dad's asleep outside the front door. You pull up, you get everything loaded up. I said, I'm going to sleep with my clothes on and my pajamas over my clothes. I'm a smart dude, right? <laughs> and then my mom's like, all right, I'm going to bring the cops. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I'm 15 years old, I'm laying down, and I want you to know my father's redeemed, like he's an amazing man. Now I want you to like, I don't like that. You know, he's great dude, like, I just gotta tell you my story, okay? I'm laying in bed, I'm terrible, I'm sweating bullets because I got my clothes and my PJs on, you know? The morning comes. Now if you grew up in a Hispanic home, you would know that when someone knocks on the door, your parents say, go to your room, right? Y'all know that's true. You, it's illegal to open up the door in your house. All of a sudden, I run to the door. My dad says, get back. My dad opens up the door. 
it's my mom and the cops. And he goes, what's going on? The cop says, well, it's her weekend and she'd like to see her son. It's court ordered. He goes, we don't have any court order. The cop goes, do you uh, receive child support? He goes, yeah. He says, well, how do you receive child support on a non-court order? He goes, that court order. I'll never forget, my dad began to close the door and the cop put his foot in the door. And he looked through the crack at me. I stood 15 years old, terrified. And the cop says, do you want to come? And I looked at my dad, I looked at the cop. And every time I tell this story, it only reminds me of a picture of Jesus. I felt like in my life, this has been what he's done for me. That in moments where I was bound and broken and stuck, and when the door was about to close, he stuck his foot inside. And in a simple, calm way, he gives me an invitation. I'm, I'm there and I look at my dad and I walk out the house. I mean, the cops here, so I feel brave. So I walk out the house. And a couple years goes by. And at 16 years old, I end up giving my life to Jesus. I, at 16 years old, I had come to a place where I said, there is no God, there's no way. And I was an atheist and I get radically saved because this guy buys me a smoothie and invites me to his church. And you know, if you know me, I'll take anything for free. So I can go to his church and, and I realize that the gospel is truly for everyone. It's for the three-year-old daughter. It's for the 16-year-old atheist. You know, I was in a high school years ago and I was preaching and we, we did this thing where we gave away Dre Beat headphones. I don't know if you've ever seen those headphones before. And, uh, you know, Bible club that day was packed because when you say free in East LA, everyone and their mama's coming. So we had Dre Beat headphones and we were giving away like 400 kids in Bible club that day. And as I was preaching, uh, you know, I, I, I'm there and I could tell kids kind of want the headphones. So I stopped halfway in my sermon. I'm like, how many of y'all are excited for the headphones? They're like, yeah. You know, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said, bring me the headphones. I grabbed them. I said, you know, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm, I'm going to put these headphones in the middle of the gym and on the count of three. How many of y'all know this is about to go south real quick? I said, first one down here gets them. First one. You ready? I mean, think about this. In, in, on the count of three, people are about to lose their dignity. People will be stepped on. Weaves will be pulled. People may get shanked. I'm just playing. I mean, it's about to get crazy. I said, one, two, three. And as everyone was about to rush the front, this guy who was involved in gangs, his name was Lalo, he stands up. And when he stands up, everyone sits down. Lalo comes up like this. So I'm like. So I go and I grab the headphones and what he didn't know was that I took the headphones out of the box and I wrapped an empty box. So I said, hey bro, um, just wanna, wanna give you this. So I go, but you gotta open it up. So he goes, he opens it up and he goes, yo bro, this is an empty box, man. I said, yeah, just like your life. And I was like, Please don't stab me. You know, like, it's getting real. I said, you're a nicely packaged box, man, but without Jesus, you ain't got nothing inside. 
I said, bring the headphones out, bring the headphones. So they bring the headphones and I give him the headphones. I said, here you go. He's like, are they real? I'm like, come on, bro. Yeah, they're real. I said, but before you take them, I got two questions for you. He goes, yeah. I said, do you know me? He goes, no. I said, do you deserve these? He goes, no. I said, that's just like the love of God, man. You don't know him. You don't deserve it, but he wants to give it to you anyways. Sit down. So that day, I'm closing up this Bible club in a school, about to finish speaking before we turn it over, and I do an altar call. And if you've ever done an altar call before, you would know there is the seconds before you do it where your heart begins to beat fast because you're afraid no one will respond. Right? You all been there before? How many of you have ever been to those meetings where no one responds? You're like, it's okay, the angels are standing right now. Right? That's where that scripture becomes really real of like you encourage yourself in the Lord, you know? I've had many of those moments. On that day, I said, man, if you've never received Jesus, I want you to do something. I want you to stand to your feet. I don't want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is the first greatest decision of your life. I said, if you've never received Jesus, on the count of three, stand to your feet. One, two, three. No one stands. I'm like, it's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Lalo stands. And when he stood... The rest of the 400 students stood with him. Why? Because the gospel is for everyone. It's for the three-year-old. It's for the 16-year-old atheist. It's for the gangbanger in East LA. And I want to share one more story before I read a scripture, if that's okay. I want to share a story that happened not too long ago. I want to share another story that's been dear to my heart. You know, I wasn't the only kid my mother had. Seemed like she had one every year. <laughs> and you would look at her like, how my mom used to say, I'm not your mom, say I'm your sister, you know? I'm like, mom, you've been 25 for a long time, you know? <laughs> this last year, we had an unexpected visitor come to our home. And uh, my, my wife had been prompting me to, to invite my sister. Now, my sister and I, uh, you know, we kind of grew up together. I, I really got connected with her when she was about maybe four years old. And, and we, you know, we began a relationship. And, and, and after I got saved, I'll be honest, I had a zealousness for God. I got saved and I left my home. And I was preaching. I was like, man, I was so on fire. I mean, I, back when I got saved, like, I got really saved. Y'all didn't know that. Like, I, I got saved and then they took me to the call, Qualcomm Stadium. And I seen this man named Lou Engel who was on the stage. And then I started watching Lou on YouTube and it ruined my life. <laughs> I was like, man, I, I need to be like this burning man. I mean, I, I was so into what God was doing that I had completely forgotten of my family. Not in a bad way, but I just was, I was just like, man, I'm just so focused on what God's doing. And so a lot of years had gone by and for a lot of, a lot of the years that had gone by, I carried a lot of shame because I was never there for my younger siblings. And so my wife one day was like, man, we should invite your sister over. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't even think she likes me anymore. You know, like, I don't know. And she's like, no, we should. I'm like, well, you invite her then. She's like, okay, so she calls her. And then they're like, I'm, and I'm thinking like she's gonna come over for like half a day, you know, like chill and then catch a flight back at night. And all of a sudden I hear him on the phone. She's like, yeah, four days would be great. I'm like, four days? Like, four days? So she gets off the phone and my wife, she'll, she'll tell you we don't fight. We do, she just calls it intense fellowship. Um, <laughs> we had some intense fellowship that day. I'm like, what do you mean? Like four days, what am I gonna do for four days? And so it's too late, tickets bought. We pick up my sister and we get, you know, we're, we're driving back from the airport and I'm like, all right, what do I, what do we talk about? And so we just start catching up on life and 
One night on the couch, my sister began to open up about her life, the different drugs that she had used and alcohol and her two-year lesbian relationship she was in. Everything that you would say is contrary to the very faith that we stand for. As I'm sitting on my couch and my sister's pouring out her life to me, the Lord speaks to me. And he says, don't tell her what she's doing wrong. Tell her what could be made right. So I'm sitting there and I, can I just say this as, as my buddy Ray Charles begins to play? I always call him our Ray. He's our Ray Charles. He jokes around. He's like, can I say this, that you don't have to agree with someone to love them. You're like, where is it in the Bible? Well, the Bible says that God, we can love God because he first loved. And God first loved us long before our lives ever agreed with him. Which is why I can sit there with my sister, completely love her, though maybe disagree with some things in her life. We're sitting on the couch. I start telling her about God. A couple nights later, I feel in my heart, the Lord speaks to me, and he says, I want you to ask your sister to stay here. I'm like, that is not a good idea. But then I watch Instant Family. I don't know if you've all seen Instant Family before. I know most of you just watched The Passion of the Christ. So um, Instant Family is about adoption. Powerful movie. I go to my wife that night and I'm like, honey, I just feel like we got to keep like my sister here for a little bit longer. She's like, let's do it. I'm like, darn it. <laughs> Supposed to say no. <laughs> we go up to my sister. I said, hey, would you want to stay here a little bit longer? She goes, sure. I said, cool. So I'm like taking her shopping and like, I mean, literally my, I, I've never, I haven't been, I shop on Amazon guys. Like my sister's going to every store. I'm just, just outside waiting for her. I'm like, dude, hurry up. Like, but we're building relationship. We're talking. And one night we're on the floor of my daughter's room, pink unicorns everywhere, rainbows, very girly room. I have two daughters. And I said, Hey, Zalia. Um, can I call Marcella in here for a moment? She goes, sure. So we call my wife in. Whenever Marce uh, my, my famous saying is, when in doubt, bust Marcella out, you know? So, <laughs> so we call her in the room, and I'm like, hey, uh, would you want to accept Jesus? Because I know that if you accept him, everything else will get fixed. I feel like we, 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 we say we believe that, but really we don't. A lot of times we're like, get fixed, get clean, then come. I love what Brandon preached. Because the man that came out of the grave came with his grave close. He was brought to life, though he still wore things that were of his past. I said, hey, would you like to receive Jesus? She goes, I'm not ready for that. I said, well, can I tell you a little bit about him? Now, how many of you know it's one thing for me to impress you in the room? Because you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know how I live. You don't know who I am. It's another thing when it's my flesh and blood. They know me. That's why for me to preach with my wife here, you know this has to be legit. If not, she'd be like, uh-uh, right? I begin to tell my sister about Christ. She begins to cry. And we said, will you trust him with your life? She's like, I don't know if I can do this. I said, you can do this. He's a good leader. He's a man that won't hurt you. He's a man that won't leave you. I said, will you do this? She goes, okay. I'll trust him. 
we lead her to the Lord, and I said, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to send you to YWAM. She goes, what's that? I said, don't worry about it. (laughs) It's a missionary school in Kona. (laughs) Get her on an island, you know. I said, you're going to go. It's going to be palm trees and sushi. And I was like, I said, it's a missionary school. I said, Leah, you have a call of God on your life. Remember, her lifestyle hasn't changed. She still thinks the same way. She still talks the same way. The difference is Holy Ghost is inside now. Difference is she's welcomed God to come into her home. And guess what? You know what I love about Jesus? He left. Think about this. Like, like God, who walks on streets of gold, found your heart to be a better home. And you know what I've learned about God? Is he doesn't live in the ghettos. Which means that you're no ghetto. That means that when you read that scripture and you see how heaven is built and designed, could you only imagine who you truly are if you can see yourself as he sees you, that he finds you worthy enough to make you his dwelling place. So we send my, my sister gets radically saved and i never forget the day she calls me. She goes, Brian. I'm like, what? She's like, I'm, my heart is healed. Hold on. She goes, Brian, I, I want to have a family one day. She goes, I want kids. She goes, I don't, I've never felt this kind of love before. And I realized something that the gospel is for everyone. For everyone. It's for the three-year-old Zoe, the 16-year-old atheist, the kid in his high school who doesn't know God, for the girl who's been struggling at 18 years old and living a life that is so contrary. It's for everyone. And I want to invite, I don't know if it's going to be all of you, but I really could not let this weekend go by without giving you a chance to receive Jesus. Because maybe there's some of you, you've been in this room and you're like, why do you jump that way? Why are you shouting? Why is, why is Bailey doing this? And why is Brandon, everyone get on their knees? What is this? You know, one of my favorite stories is of a man in John 9 who, who's blind and can't see. Guy's born this way. And you know what sucks about his life is that everyone blames him for his condition. I don't know if you've ever known someone who's been blind or gone blind, but I guarantee you that that not, was not there in their plan or agenda. And in John 9, there's this man who's constantly being put down for his blindness all the time. And Jesus shows up to the scene in John 9, and his disciples are having a conversation. It probably was something like this. Hey, yo, Jesus, psst. Remember, the guy's blind, not deaf. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? And Jesus responds with this, neither. Could imagine the disciples' theology being messed up in that moment, because they probably had an idea of God that bad things happen to bad, when that's the farthest thing from the grace of God. 
Because the grace of God and salvation is given to those who don't deserve it. That's why it's a free gift. Jesus says it was neither. It was actually so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus picks the most oddest way to heal this man. He could have said, be healed. Instead, Bible says he gets on the ground and he picks up, he spits in the dirt and he, he makes mud with the dirt and he wipes it in the guy's face. Come on, what if that was altar call today? <laughs> Could imagine. Now, you ever, you ever like, spit? anybody ever spit before? How many of you know there's a difference between a man and a woman when they spit? Women spit like this. <laughs> Men, how many of you ever spit when no one was around? You're like, right now do you know how much spit it must have taken to make mud and could you imagine the picture of the son of God could you imagine could you imagine the blind guy like what's going on out there disciples like I'm not he does it all the time he's good spits in the dirt, he wipes it in his face, the guy washes and he's healed. Jesus took something that was worthless, stuck his DNA in it, and a miracle happened. <laughs> then, the religious community could not stand his healing. Multiple times they pulled him in for questioning. You keep reading on, they even pull in his parents and they're like, are you sure this is your son? They're like, it's our son. He was blind. We don't know how he got healed. They're, they're terrified. Then all of a sudden, they question the man a second time. They're like, who healed you? And the man, I love his response. If I could read it to you. This is what he says. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the blind man answered, Rather, he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I wanna give an opportunity to today for those who've been walking blind and Jesus does not dwell in the heart of your home. You would say today, I want him to make my heart his home. I want to know what it's like to come up and experience God first here. You know, worship is only an outward expression of what God does in, a, in the heart of a man or a woman. People that don't worship are people that don't realize what he's, what he's done in here. Worship is an act of gratefulness. It's why when you, when you have to cheerlead the room to worship, they're missing it. I encourage you at these next sessions, your worship would come from a place of thankfulness. So what I want to do is I don't want you to bow your heads or close your eyes. I think that's the most ridiculous thing sometimes when we do that. How many of you have ever been to a wedding before? Anybody? If you have not been to a wedding, I'm sorry you've never been invited. Watch YouTube. There are plenty of weddings on there. You will know that at a wedding, there's the moment where the preacher or the pastor says, all right, all rise and everyone stands and they do what? They turn and they look at the bride. How ridiculous would it be if the pastor was like, all right, everybody close your eyes. That woman would be like, you better open your eyes. That's the best I'm going to look for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> Why would you close your eyes on the greatest decision you're going to make? 
Again, I want you to know this, that the greatest proposal, I think I said this this weekend, the greatest proposal in human history is not this. The greatest proposal in human history is this. Here's what we're going to do. If you've never received Jesus before, or you are on the line, or you have backslidden, and someone bought you a ticket because they said there was going to be hot dogs or something here, and you want to receive Jesus, on the count of three, I want you to stand. I don't want it to be some like, uh, I, want you to, I want you to stand, man. There was, and what we're going to do is we're, we are going to celebrate because heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. On the count of three, if there's anybody, I don't know, I just, this is just what I felt in my heart to do today. If you've been straddling the fence, maybe you've left God, maybe your life is not fully devoted and you're like, man, I've, I've still kind of not said a yes. Man, that this afternoon would be your yes. On the count of three, if that's you, will you stand? One, two, three. Come on, if that's you, will you stand? Come on. Come on, all over the room, all over the room. Come on, stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet if that's you. You've never received Jesus and that's you, you want to. Come on, you want to, you want to, stand. I feel like there's more people. I'm gonna wait for you a little longer. Come on, come on. If there's anyone else, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if there's anybody else. Come on, make your way up. I want you to make your way up right now, come on. Make your way up. Come on, make your way up. Come on. Come on, let's cheer for these people. Come on. Come on, make your way up. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, get up here now. Come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come on. 